Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Carry On, brought to you by Nation's Finest, where our mission is to support America's military veterans and their families with a comprehensive approach to housing, health, and employment that helps them to achieve self-sufficiency and reach their full potential. If you or a veteran you know needs help, or if you'd like to make a donation, please visit nationsfinest.org or call 833-468-9676. Again, that's nationsfinest.org or call 833-468-9676. I'm your host, Mark Miller, Army Veteran and Communications Director for Nation's Finest. September is National Service Dog Month, so our guest today is going to talk with us about when he realized he needed a service dog or one might be helpful to him and what the process was like to get one. And finally, how life is a little bit different now with his service dog. Raymond Albright is an ordained minister and senior pastor at Hoover's Gap Church in Christiana, Tennessee, and serves as the chaplain for the Combat Veterans Motorcycle Association in Tennessee. He also is the Communications and Public Relations Director for the Ford Veterans Network Group. Chaplain Albright served in the Texas Army National Guard as a combat engineer and in the active Army as a forward observer for the field artillery. Then later, he was in the reserves as a military policeman. Chaplain Raymond Albright, thank you so much for joining us here today. My pleasure. Hey, that that's the first salute we've gotten on this podcast. I'll, I'll it, wasn't, it, it wasn't a very good one, so I'll grant you that. You might want to uh, edit that out. <laughs> we can do some post-production there. So, <laughs> so uh, first of all, thank you so much for joining us, and, and I'm really looking forward to your insights today uh, with you and your experience with your service, Doug. So I want to start by asking specifically for our veteran audience, uh, our fellow veterans out there, what point did you get to, or at what point did you think, hey, maybe a service dog would be helpful to me? And what would you advise a fellow veteran if, if they're considering thinking maybe a service dog would be right for them? And, and what was your thought process to, to reaching the point where you said, yeah, I think I'm going to try to get a service dog? That's a lot, lot to digest right off the bat, but let's uh, give it a shot. So. The, the reason I, I got a ser or considered getting a service dog, a friend of mine, a fellow veteran, uh, sent a video of a combat scene. Uh, it was a foreign video uh, somewhere in Canada, I believe, and some parts of it were in French. But in the combat scene, there were explosions and firefights, and, and then there was a child laying in the street and the service member was laying in the street, he was injured, and then uh, he's reaching over for the child, the child turned into like a doll, and you know how dreams are, and then all of a sudden, um, this friend of him is picking him up, and then the friend starts licking the guy's face, and of course, I'm watching the video going, this is, what is this? And then as the guy is licking the guy's face, he, he wakes up, and when he woke up, it transitions in the video to a dog licking the man's face and then it transitions and says something along the lines of what a service dog can do for you i lost it i just began weeping uncontrollably 
And I was just like, wow, what just happened? And so I just, I just responded back to him and I said, I think I need a dog. And that, that began my search because, uh, and to go to part B or C of the question, I, I had tried the VA medications or, uh, the Department of Arbery drugstore, I guess you could call it. Uh, I tried the VA medications. I did the, the therapy sessions. I, I, I did the, the mental hospital stays. I, uh, I guess I, I just thought that the answer, uh, was a service dog at that point. I, I know, Nothing else seemed to really be working. And uh, when I saw the video, I was sold that a dog, knew, a service dog, has to be. You knew that was the right thing for you. Absolutely. So you got to that level. You realized, hey, I think I need a service dog. You know, maybe if I'm having a dream like that and a service dog can pull me from that to, oh, it's a dog licking my face. Hey, life is good. So... You, you reach that point, but you can't just go buy a service dog at your local pet shop. Uh, so can could you tell us about the process that you went through to get your service dog, just to kind of provide some context, because most of us, myself included, no, no idea how that process works. So I'm not too technical savvy, but you mean you can't buy it on eBay? I thought everything was purchasable. Google. <laughs> No. Okay. Uh, good, good point. I guess maybe if you get deep enough into the internet, maybe someone could correct me out there. But, but uh, you know, yes. as, as you know, they're they're not readily available. Okay. Yeah. So what I did is, uh, I, as uh, anyone who has been through the, the psych ward or through therapy sessions or the the Department of Army drugstore you get part of a PAX clinic. So I was just seeing regularly the, the doc and I approached him and said, Hey, I saw this video and the service dog, I think is really going to be the answer. Can you help? What do I do? And so the VA, uh, my doctor at that time, he gave me three phone numbers. And as it turned out, those three phone numbers, one of them was disconnected. Uh, one of them said they only service, uh, people in their local area, which was like six hours away from me. And so they couldn't help me. And then the third one wanted several thousands of dollars uh, for me to pay them so they could train me. And I had to provide a dog and I had to go see them and I had to be with them. And it was the, the process that they explained was very drawn out. And I, I just, it's like, I'm done. There's no way I can come up with one, that kind of money or to do that kind of a process. So I met a friend at work and he had a guide dog. Now there is uh, really four different types of animals. You have a guide dog, which helps with blind. Uh, then you have a service dog, which helps with disabilities. Then you have a, an emotional support dog, which helps with the emotional state. And then you have um, like uh, bomb dogs, dog, dog, we call those the bottom of the class. They didn't pass any other thing except, uh, hey, they can go sniff out a bomb somewhere. So with those types of animals, he had, a, he had the guide dog and that's the top of the class that your A students. And uh, so I approached him and, and was talking to him. How did he get his guide dog? Where did he get it from? And uh, he told me, he said, well, they, they offer these four types of animals where he got his from. And it was through Southeastern Guide Dogs or their organization website is 
um, guidedogs.org. And so I reached out to them, and it was a very lengthy, very tedious process, and rightly so. Uh, they have a very uh, in-depth vetting process that you have to go through. So the VA was not very helpful at all. In fact, throughout this entire process, I've had my dog now for five years. Uh, they've refused to pay anything. They won't give uh, credit. They won't even recognize her as my service dog through any insurance or even the law that they just passed. Uh, and well, I forget the date that they passed it, but the PAWS Act that the president just passed, they still won't recognize my service dog. Um, but anyway, I reached out to Southeastern Guide Dog and they said, absolutely, they service anywhere across the United States. Uh, they don't charge anything to any of the veterans. They don't charge anything to any of the people that get a service dog or a guide dog for that matter. They operate solely on donations from their um, donors. Absolutely phenomenal organization. So there was an applying process and a vetting process. So you had to have letters of recommendations from your employer if you work. Uh, from your doctor, from psychologists, from anybody. They give you this entire list to, to work through. Um, unfortunately, when I, when I first applied, I was, I was declined. They actually flew someone out and they do a home interview with you. So it's a, it was a very in-depth process. And like I said earlier, rightly so, because as I found out later, once I did get approved, the total cost for raising, training, staffing, and maintaining certification for the eight-year um, life uh, process for our, for the service dog is uh, like fifty-eight thousand dollars, and so they do wow. take it quite seriously. So that's how I ended up getting a hold of my service dog, so, and I applied in February. Ended up being denied sometime in June. So from February to June, that's how long it took for them to process the application, run through the, the process. Uh, I ended up going through a very traumatic incident in uh, July, uh, and that was in 2016, a very traumatic incident in Ju July of 2016. It involved uh, law enforcement with a big round hat and a gun <laughs> so, and a badge and uh, a nightmare. And so very reminiscent of the looking dog. And so I reached back out to Southeastern Guide Dog explained the, the incident that happened and just basically laid it all out, put all my guts out and, and just poured out my heart to them and said, you just don't understand what I've uh, tried. Uh, and I think that a service dog is my, sorry. Okay. That the service dog is my last hope. To keep breathing. That's how close it was. And uh, I think I think they heard me. And so uh, anyway, I did ask them once and they approved me uh, in August uh, after that. And then I went to their training course in in October, October of 2016. So they had uh, found found a dog and training it uh, that was prepared for for me, and then uh, they trained me to how to handle the dog at that time. I'm so glad that uh, that that dog was there to give you that hope, and I'm so glad you're still here with us, brother. Yeah, they. Uh, I did ask them a question. I said, uh, "How many, how many um, 
veterans uh, that have gone through your program uh, have committed suicide and and they said none. And so that, that added on, on top of it and said, okay, I think I'm making the right decision. Uh, because again, the VA medications, yeah, medications, the therapy sessions, the hospital stays, uh, the family support group, all that just wasn't, it wasn't fitting the bill, man. And, uh, but the dog came through. And so I'm still here. <laughs> that, what an amazing story. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. So now, now you've got us to the point in your story. Now you have a service dog. So that need that you had, that hope you needed, that's there. But how does that affect others' perceptions of you? And, and let me take that a step further to make this a, a productive conversation. Could you help us out with some, with some do's and don'ts? Uh, because I go into a USO, a VFW, I go to see my doc over at the VA. It's not uncommon to see veterans with service dogs. So uh, help us vets out, give us some advice, some do's and don'ts when, uh, when interacting with someone with a service dog. But, but perceptions first, I'm sorry, I'm stacking questions on you here. Uh, I love that you said, let's make it a productive conversation. That, that's actually, uh, when I was in the military, the officer would pass you and we had a greeting of the day. And so they made us come up with our own greeting of the day. When you would pass the officer, you would render the salute, you would give your greeting of the day, and then you would pass. And so my greeting of the day for the last 30 plus years have been, or has been, have a productive day. And so I, I love, love whenever it says, I love it, have a productive day and a productive conversation, which I hope this turns out to be. So well, and we, were, we were having a very productive conversation already. So I meant by no means to insinuate we weren't. But I want to I want to do as much as we can to to give people insight here. So uh, but but I do want to hear about others perceptions of you. And then, and then yeah, let's uh, let's absolutely let's have a productive day. <laughs> absolutely. I agree. Uh, so there, there are a couple things that uh, are very helpful and things that I've learned that I didn't know or wasn't made aware of when it comes to service animals and this goes for whether it's an emotional support dog a guide dog or a service dog although with an emotional support dog uh, it is a little bit different because they are trained and tasked with providing and care and being up close talking and being a part and interacting for example in some cases when you go to the va you may be in a waiting room and somebody brings in a dog, an emotional support dog, and they say, hey, would you like to? And they let the dog go and it walks through the room and sits down at somebody's feet because that dog knows and senses somebody that needs a hug or somebody that needs a partner. And so those emotional support dogs are trained to interact and provide that. Uh, but a service dog is, is not. They can actually be distracted from doing their job. So a service dog or a guide dog would be just like you and I. Uh, if uh, you were my coworker and I had uh, someone come up from the side behind you and just like now we're recording this session, having a, a podcast and, and someone uh, came up behind you and was tapping you on the shoulder. And they just kept going, hey Mike, hey Raymond, hey, hey, and, and then my phone was ringing off to the side and I would keep looking at my phone and watching it and hanging it up, I would be extremely distracted from this podcast. 
But that's exactly what happens when you try to interact with somebody's service dog or guide dog. They are on the job. They are on the clock. They have a task to perform. And when we try to interact with them without being their owner, we are interfering with their job. It'd be like if you walked up to a receptionist desk and somebody is already talking to the receptionist and you just barge your way in there, push them out of the way and say, no, you will talk to me. You're interfering with that receptionist's job in helping that other person. And another thing that I learned is that a guide dog or a service dog, and this may sound cruel, and, and I don't mean it to sound that way, but it's truth, and I, I'm a truth talker, and that is that it's, it's a medical equipment, and that's exactly what it's trained for, tasked for, and it provides, is a medical assistance in some degree. So it's just like if, uh, if I had a wheelchair, I can't recall any time that I've ever walked up to someone that was in a wheelchair and I said, oh, wow, that's a cool wheelchair. Let me feel the arm on that. Wow, those wheels are really beefed up. That's awesome. But you would go up to someone's dog and go, that's a cool dog. Let me pet that. And, and you would start treating it something other than a piece of medical equipment, uh, a very expensive piece of medical equipment, I might add. And so just like someone who has uh, a prosthetic limb, you wouldn't go up to it and start going, look at how those fingers move. That is so cool. Can the thumb go all the way back? But you would their dog. And so that's the things to learn is that it really is an extension of that person. It is just like a piece of medical equipment. Now, just like with a piece of equipment, I take care of it. I, I, you know, I play with her when it's time to play. For example, she has a vest. And when she has her vest on, I don't do that for other people's sake. In fact, it's not a law that she wear a vest. My dog, the service animal, does not have to have a vest on in public. The reason we do that is for the dog's mentality. The dog knows when I say vest on or when I say harness on, she puts her head down, moves forward, and goes into a harness position. I put the harness on, and immediately her eyes, her ears, and her tail go into a working mode. And she so is now uh, ready to work. Like so when you go to work, that's her work uniform. Exactly. When you go to work, you pick your badge, you scan in, and you're work-minded. So like I've taught my children, if you do work at work, you'll never have a problem. But when you bring your personal life into your work, you start mixing things. So that's the same true holds or it holds true for a service animal. So when I take her vest off, she knows I'm no longer at work. So there is that time of release and there's that time for work. Uh, another thing that I learned is that if you get your service animal, they go everywhere you go. Where you go, they go. It's, it's not like, uh, unfortunately, it's the reverse then to say it's not like um, a, um, a cane that I can just leave when I go to my bed. She's right there. She's always necessary. I guess it would be like a cane now that I think about it or a wheelchair. You always need it. It's that piece of medical equipment. Uh, right. It's always like you with said, you. Med medical, medically necessary. She's got to go with you, right? Exactly. Then, then a couple other things. One would be um, 
it's very noticeable now because just like with a wheelchair or a cane or a prosthetic or if you had your jeans on and then somebody saw that oh wow that's a that's a prosthetic leg uh, then they would start questioning and asking the same held true with the dog when i got my dog people started actually asking me so what happened why do you need a dog all of a sudden now you feel cornered you feel i felt less of a human i felt um less um macho I felt like, wow, you know, because I knew why I had the dog is because I was losing it emotionally because I wasn't able to grasp the, the differentiate, I should say, between dream and reality. And so I was having a difficult uh, time mentally. And so now I had to find a way to talk my way through that. You can't hide a dog. <laughs> you, can't, you can't put her off to the side and keep her in the trunk. You know, she's there. And so... Uh, so, it became a topic that I had to now publicly acknowledge. And, and sometimes that's tough because the reality is, is that she is not a guard dog, you know? So if I had a guard dog, that was at the end of my leash and dragging and barking, people would be back and they wouldn't, you know, maybe they wouldn't ask me those questions, but she's not trained to do that. Right. So I so, had to face those tough questions. It sounds like wounds that were previously invisible, now a bit more visible. Uh, similar to your example about if an amputee is wearing shorts, oh, versus an amputee wearing pants and matching shoes, people may not notice they're an amputee. It, it creates a different response. I see where and, that would be uh, the same with the dog, sure. And, it's, and it wasn't the all in all answer that I dreamed that it would be as well. And an example of that is uh, you try to go into a restaurant or go into a, an establishment. And I understand the ADA, Americans with Disability Act. I understand the laws. Uh, this has happened for, from law enforcement. Law enforcement has even come against me in places uh, of a regular establishment. So they reject you, won't allow you to entrance. They reject your service. They won't allow you to sit in certain places. Uh, I was even in a courtroom one time and, and they refused. And so I just said, listen, where would you put somebody that had a wheelchair? And they said, what do you mean? I said, if I were in a wheelchair, where would you have me go? And they said, well, we'd put you, we'd put you right here. And I said, that's why I'm standing here. Just treat me like I'm in a wheelchair. And it got heated in a courtroom. And can, so it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. do anything to help my PTSD when you get in my face. And so yeah. it flares it up. And so now this, this service animal, my medical extension is causing more frustration. And so there's a check and balance that comes with it. It wasn't the all in all answer that I was thinking it was going to be that I'd walk into public and everything was magically, I can go to the mall now. <laughs> no. I can, I can imagine that would be somewhat of a challenge, but also I'm guessing worth it for the, uh, for the good that you received from that relationship. So. Absolutely. Example being, I went to get my tires rotated and I was in the tire shop and there's a waiting room. And so I'm in the back corner, usually with my back against the wall on the side where I know no one can come around me. And then for whatever reason, the, this was about a year after I had her. So I was still learning, just like someone who would have to learn how to use a prosthetic, someone who had to learn how to walk with a cane, someone who had to learn how to use a wheelchair. I had to learn how to use my service dog. 
And so it's about a year into it. I'm in this uh, waiting room. And all of a sudden there was a rush of people that came in. And I don't, I didn't, wasn't really even aware of it. But my dog, and just like the pictures I had shared with you, she's normally, uh, we call it down and under. And so she's down and under my feet. And she's always watching. We put her in a watch position. I say watch. And so she's actually listening and watching for things that are going around. So I can put my mind at ease because I know she's paying attention. She's being well, vigilant she's, for you, satisfying exactly. that emotional need. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's not an emotional need. It's a physical, uh, physical barrier right. that, yeah, because she is actually um, allowing me to relax because she's doing a job. So I don't have to oh. always be vigilant and aware and, and around that because now I have this tool that can do it for me. So I had her in a down stay, down under, and a stay. That means she doesn't move. She just moves her head left and right, and she alerts me when someone's coming close or by by the movements. And again, I'm learning how to use this medical equipment. Well, she gets up, which is a, a disobedient movement. And when she got up, I immediately wanted to correct her. And so I'm trying to correct her, but then she got up. And one of the pictures I sent you, she got in my lap. And when she got in my lap, it was then that I realized I looked up and there were just these throng of people coming at and coming in the room. She actually had got up and braced and put herself between me. That's also called a block position. So she got and there was three things that she did. She did obedient disobedience. She did a block and a hug. And she did all that just for me. And it was at that moment that I realized she is doing her job. She's and doing it was what like a, she needs to do. So, and I wasn't even aware, but when I saw all the people, I started getting in this panic, and my heart was beating. And I'm like, "Whoa, wait a minute!" That's when I realized she is working. I'm so glad to hear how well that's working out for you. Thank you so much for joining us today, telling us about what motivated you to get a service dog, and and how the process isn't easy. So, uh, you know, do. You know, folks need to work with their medical providers, employers, and everything to get to the point of getting a service dog. And then uh, once you have one, clearly it's not all sunshine and rainbows. You know, there's, there's some challenges there too. Raymond, really appreciate all the insight. Thank you so much for joining us today. My very last question is, is your service dog available to, uh, to, to make an appearance uh, on the video version of this podcast today? Yes, you would. And uh, I'd like to add, though, that, you know, just like you said, and coin on what you said, too, it's not easy because you have nails and hair and teeth and ears and medical and special diet. Now, also, she's, she's not my animal. She's not my pet. She's actually you had to, I had to sign an agreement. Uh, she's like a lease vehicle. Now, at the end of my lease vehicle, I have the option to keep her or return her and get another service animal. So she's only in service for eight years. And after and eight years, come, she doesn't come with a mechanic to take care of all those things. That's right. And so after eight years, she can no longer be a certified service animal. So every year they come out, they recertify me. We have to go through a certification process. So it's a very lengthy process. And the last two things I would like to add, when I went to the thing, it said uh, there was a sign at the school and it said, I took the leash off my wife and I put it on my service dog. And that's exactly what I did. So come. Here we go. Hug. Oh, here we are. Can we see her? There she is. Yeah, there she yeah. is. All right, good. My place. Thank you. So she well, listens. She 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 knows sign language. She knows voice recognition. And uh, anyway, 
thank you so much for, for letting us listen and, and, and let me tell a little bit about uh, the ups and downs because it, again, it wasn't the all in all answer, uh, but it's a, a positive step forward. Well, it's very appreciated. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us and uh, hope that it hope that it helps some of our fellow vets out there. Thank you again. I do too. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And thank you to all of you who joined us again today. We'll be back next week discussing issues relevant to veterans and those who care about them. Again, if you or a veteran you know needs help, or if you'd like to donate, please visit nationsfinest.org or call 833-468-9676. Thank you again for joining, and as always, carry on.